Welcome to the podcast of New Creation Christian Center, the path to genuine life where you can come as you are and be transformed by the Word of God. My name is Pastor Marquise, and we are a non-denominational church led by the living and active Word of God in the heart of Seattle, Washington, by Pastors Harold and Annis Faye Franklin. Whether this is your first time, second time, be sure to subscribe and share this with those that need it. Now join me and be ready to live and learn from the Word of God. All right. Somebody say praise the Lord. God is good. Everybody enjoy their 4th of July. I've seen the pictures of Michael and Monica on the rooftop. We were at uh, Tacoma, in Tacoma at the uh, pier area, I believe. We did a concert, man, and it it was good. Um, We're excited to see. We're excited to see. My daughter didn't trip over that chord, first of all, (laughs) right? But uh, we also were excited to see um, God use music to draw people to hear the message of the gospel. Amen. There's people walking by and they just, oh, they heard rap music. They come over and uh, they heard a lot of Jesus. Amen. So I'm excited about that. I was able to pray for a brother that was there and he was like, man, I know I'm, I'm not doing all, you know, right all the time, but you guys encouraged me to keep moving forward in God. And I, you know, I sat there and we prayed for each other for each, well, I prayed for him. Um, and I just said, hey man, you're gonna have to speak out that you're gonna walk this thing out. So, and I've been doing that a lot lately with some of the people um, that I've ministered to at some of the concerts. A lot of them are unsure, but God wants us to be sure, amen. God didn't give us an unsure foundation. He gave us a sure foundation, amen. So I, I've been telling them to say, you say that you're going you're gonna to walk this out. Don't say you're going to waver and go back and forth. Say, I'm going to do it and begin to make steps to do that. Because just like I'm preaching on, identifying yourself is very important. We, God has identified us, but we have to identify ourselves as his kids. Amen. So let's get going in this message. I preached on Sunday. Man, I, this is my second time preaching this week. <laughs> I was just thinking, actually, this is my third time preaching this week. But let's see. uh, I talked about identity, and you guys have it in the notes now. Um, Who someone is. We talked about the name of a person, the qualities, beliefs that make a particular person or group different from others. Even with that, I didn't talk about it too much last week, but how does your identity as a believer make you different than others who do not profess to be believers? Uh, yesterday while we were there, um, and this always happens, it's weird, but a lot of the people that are actually just reading scriptures and holding <clears throat> Jesus signs, they face a lot of persecution. There was people all up in their face and doing all kinds of different things, and they're just reading the Bible out loud. And I don't know if that's always the correct way to go about it. But regardless, the word is being, is, is, is being spread. Amen. And the Bible says when his word goes forth, it will not return void. It will go forth and accomplish the things that he has set it to accomplish. There's some people that walk by that, the, uh, the brothers preaching the word, and were probably like, oh, man, that was confirmation. I needed to hear that scripture. So we never know. But there's a lot of persecution. But what makes us different than other people in the world? We have to figure that out. Amen. Number one is walking and following God. 
But also I talked about how do we define ourselves. I talked about God wants to shape and awake our identity as he did with Joshua. You guys remember that story where he kept telling him, be strong and courageous. He said it like three times in, in like 11 scriptures. It was like, okay, got to get this, Joshua. But he was shaping his identity, right? And then as God shaped his identity, at the end of the scripture, his identity was shaped, and now Joshua walked out of his identity, amen? So we see how identity is important to be a follower of God. We talked about Noah, how his, his dad had named him, and that name gave him identity. That's why I said don't be naming your kids the first thing to come out your mouth. You know, and, and, and it's, it's crazy how powerful a name is. Um, I ran into somebody... Uh, this week, whose parents named him a name that was not a godly name, and he doesn't like even being called that. He's 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 trying to walk the path of a righteous man, so he doesn't even say his name to people because his parents gave him a negative name uh, on purpose, probably. But we know the power of a name. Noah was righteous. He, he God identified him as being righteous in his. Uh, generation. And we have to be the righteous in our generation. Amen. There's plenty of times where people see us and Michael, every time people come to your shop, they should know and they should identify that this is a Christian shop. It don't have to have a cross in it. It don't have to have Jesus loves you tagged on the thing. It don't have to have none of that. But when they walk in, they should say, huh, something's different. And the way that we treat people should be different. Amen. We're not going to cuss you out. We're not going to do all this other crazy stuff. We're not going to try to rip you off because we have a standard that we walk by. Amen? Amen. I talked about the world wants to recreate your identity. Why? Because to the world, the Bible and scriptures are not um, comprehensive to them. They don't understand it. Uh, yesterday as we were walking there, uh, there was a guy that, that he was preaching about eternal life. It was like, Jesus Christ came so that you might have eternal life. And the guy next to us was like, eternal life is boring, right? I'm like, what do you mean eternal life is boring? You don't want to live forever? You know, like, you're living right now. I could, should I cut you off right now? Uh, your life off? <laughs> Nicely, so hopefully, you know. But that's the mindset of people that are in the world. Eternal life is boring, but you want to live right now. It's, it's, it's interesting. Also, we see that their ways are not the ways of God. So they want to make you conform to their ways. Amen? We're living in an age of conformity. Many are trying to conform to the ways of the world. Even in the church, pastors are trying to conform. We, heard, we talked about some of these churches that are passing votes on a whole bunch of different uh, issues of life that now they are not identifying themselves as God's people. They are conforming to the world. So basically you're removing some of the things that you had uh, and for different reasons they're removing it. But it's because they don't know their identity in God. Amen. A lot of issues that come from life tend to come from misidentifying yourself. 
Amen? So we're talking identify yourself. Uh, that's where I stopped at last week. This is where we're going to get at now. I said the enemy wants to erase your identity. And I may have said this again, but I'm going to just revisit it. John chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Uh, this is a very well-known scripture. John 10, 9 and 10 says, I am the door, and this is Jesus, right? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is a scripture. It says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. When we look at identity, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your identity, right? That's, his, that's the enemy's job. If I could get Michael, Monica, Precious, and whoever else is listening, if I can get them not to hear or to, I can distort their identity, I have power over them, right? We see uh, even, even with some of the issues of slavery, some of the things they did, they tried to distort the identity of the slaves. Some of them came from wealthy families. They took their fathers out the household. I was reading a book on fatherhood. Um, I just finished the book. But a lot of times when a father is gone, that child is missing their identity. And it's the job of the church to help restore that identity. Amen? Many times we see uh, quote-unquote fathers leaving their kids, and now that kid goes through life trying to figure out one, what his dad was like, but on the other end, what, what am I going to be? And if they don't understand what they're going to be, they're frustrated trying to figure it out. And now they're trying to do any and everything they can because they are missing their identity. Hey, man, it's a powerful thing. I remember the first time uh, my, my oldest daughter, Markayla, the first time uh, we had a visitor come in the house that she didn't know she came and ran behind my leg. You know, she just did it instinctively. And I'm like, no, it's all right, Markella. This is my friend, you know. It was the first time seeing one of my friends. But that showed me not only my identity as a father to be a leader and a protector, but it also shows that they trust us and they need that in life. Amen? But the enemy is out to seek and steal and kill and destroy your identity because once he can destroy your identity, he has you in a place where you are uncertain of who you are in life. We see this in the Garden of, of Eden, right? Adam and Eve knew who they were. But the serpent, he deceived her by saying, your identity is not what you think it is. He said, you want to be like God, right? And who don't want to be, who doesn't want to be like God, right? They already thought they were like God. So when she, when, when this happened, she was confused. And she was like, huh, okay, I want to be like God. Then, you know, we don't even look at the story like this. We just see that Eve went and ate and then she went, ran to Adam and gave it to Adam and Adam just ate. I don't think it happened like that. I don't think it was just like she ate and he just ran, here, eat it. I don't think it was like that, right? 
I think she tried to convince him of his identity as well. Because what happens when people in the world follow a lie, they're going to spread that lie, right? If somebody told you something that was a lie, but you believed it as truth, you're going to go tell your friends. Matter of fact, we got a lot of people that do that on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody said, mm-hmm. You got one Facebook lie. I, th I think one of them was that somebody had passed away. And people were sharing it like it really happened. Nobody went to the source to figure out if it really did happen. And they were just spreading it out. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe. Some people really thought he died. But then somebody was like, this, this is from a falsified website. Why? Because they checked. They checked what was, what was said. I think that Adam didn't check. He didn't go check and say, God, hold up. He didn't go back to God and say, God, this woman that you gave me, she ate that apple that you was talking about or that fruit, just to be politically correct. She ate that fruit and now she came to me to tell me that I'm not like you. Adam could have easily called on God. It wasn't like God was far away. God was in the garden with him. He could have easily said, God, uh, is this true? And God could have told him, no, that's not true. You're already like me. But he didn't. He didn't go check the source. And see, this is what the enemy does. They cloud you with this information that you think is right. You don't go check the word of God. You don't go check in prayer. You just accept this information. And now you're walking just like Eve is walking trying to reconfigure your identity because that's, a, that's what the devil wants to do. If the devil can do that to you he, got you, he has got you into a place where he can control your life. That was part of the, the issue there too. When Eve was deceived, she was now under the control of sinful nature. Amen? An enemy wants to do that to us, but we don't have to let that happen. My last thing is you must embrace your identity, okay? That's the last point. You must embrace your identity. If you don't identify yourself, nobody else will. Now, we can speak into people's lives until we're blue in the face, right? They said you could take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. ECW said you could take a man to school, but you can't make them think, right? You can take somebody to church. They can listen. They, they, it's on them. But until they begin to embrace who they are in God, you, they will still be lost. They will be lost trying to figure out life. They'll do whatever everybody else is doing. They're trying to fit in. And I talked about this when I was at the other church uh, this past Sunday. I remember a word that was spoken over me by a man, he was from the Promise Keepers, and that was like a men's conference thing. I don't remember if you remember, Michael. They came to the Garfield Community Center when we were there at Victoria's Life Christian Center. And um, this was when I was in old day. And before, even before all that, I used to, I could, I could hang with a lot of the people, but I never just fit in with just one group. I would be with the Filipinos, the white people, the black people, it, and it was, it was weird. And I would be with them until a certain time, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm out of here. Then this pastor came up to me, 
And he said, you, weren't mo- you were not born to follow, you were born to lead. And when he said that, it clicks. This is why I knew that I could, I could hang with these people because when I hang with them, they're like, oh, Marquise, what do you think about this? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, this is cool, you know, whatever. But it allowed me to understand my identity. Even I was, what, 14 or 15? I was 14 when this happened. And when he spoke that word over my life, it was like something was awakened in me, right? The leadership, and the leadership was already there because there was other friends that I had, even in our neighborhood. Well, I was the oldest, and obviously most of the time, most of the time, the oldest is, are the leaders. But that really helped me understand who I was in God. At that young age, at 14, I understood my identity was to be a leader. So I didn't get as offended or I didn't feel a certain way when people began to leave or people began to go different ways. And, and it, it just helped shape my identity. Amen. So we must embrace our own identity. Somebody say, I must embrace my identity. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6. We're going to talk about Gideon because Gideon was a man who had to embrace his identity. We're going to see who he was prior to this angel coming to talk to him in Genesis chapter 6. And as he, Gideon's going to identify himself. Judges chapter 6. I think I said Genesis just a second ago. Judges chapter 6. It says this, first of all, even before we say it, it says, Midianites oppress Israel. What does oppress mean? I, I, there's only a few of you in here. Somebody better start shouting something out. To hold down, to hold back. So usually when somebody is oppressing you, they are what? They got to be bigger. They got to be stronger. They got to be badder. Right? That's what the Midianites were to Israel. They were coming in and punking them. Right? They were just doing whatever they wanted to do. So God sends an angel. And it says, then the children of Israel, and this is why they were oppressed, and I'm going to just talk about this with our identity. If we are doing evil in the sight of the Lord, your identity will be oppressed. All right? It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Somebody say seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites... The children of Israel made for themselves the dens. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So look, not only were they punking them, they were taking their land. So just imagine today, the Midianites came and take this block, and everybody that was in this block went to go live in those bushes over there. Right? This is pretty much what's happening, Okay. They were coming in and saying, yo, you guys got to get out. This is my house now. Right? So it was whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up. Also, not only the Midianites, 
the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. So everybody's in it now. Why? Because they found out they were weak. They found out they were weak. They're like, hey, man, hey, you don't got to work all year. The Israelites will do it. And when, when it's time for the harvest, we'll just go take theirs. They're not going to do nothing. There's nothing they can do. So it's almost like this is the worst team in sports ever, and everybody knows they're going to lose. Like, if you win, it's like you won a Super Bowl because you never win, right? There's some teams like that. But it says, then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth, the, the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. So what did they leave for them? Nothing. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number. And they would enter the land to destroy it. You see this? What is this doing to Israel's identity? This is destroying their identity. They were a powerhouse. You guys understand that? These, these guys were rulers. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And, and, and uh, that, that was something that I talked about too last week. An encounter with God helps shape our identity, right? Our identity must come from having an encounter with God. I remember my wife remembering when she was younger one time where God showed her that she was a prayer warrior and she went back home and started praying, you know, and didn't stop, right? And people were like, what's going on? Is that precious? And they were like, yep, that's precious. But God awakened her identity to be a prayer warrior because they had, we, there was an encounter with God. Amen? So that encounter with God is very important. We see right here the Israelites are now crying out to God. They're, they need an encounter with God. And some of us may have to go, and I'm not saying this is the only way to get your identity in God, but some of us, we have to go through these times where we feel like the enemy is running rampant in our lives and there's nothing to do. So you begin to cry out to God to get an encounter with God. Because if you don't get that encounter with God, they're just crying. You can cry, but crying, to it ain't going to do you no good unless you're crying out to God. Because what does God do? God hears them, right? Uh, what verse were we at? It says, and it came to pass after they cried out, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord, somebody say the Lord. So what did God do? He heard their cry. There's a song that says, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. I could have sang it, but I ain't. That the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all, somebody say all, who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. All right. So God is letting them know what's going on. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. 
Why did they not obey their voice? Because, see, you guys are getting some sermon that I didn't preach at the other place because I had to just go through this and give a synopsis of it. But what we see here is powerful because it's wrapping up everything that I just preached about. The Amorites were serving other gods because the world, they were trying to recreate their identity. The world that what they were in, the Amorites, right? And now it, didn't, it doesn't even really mention the Amorites. Did it say anything? It didn't say anything about the Amorites. So now the Amorites are the ones that messed them up. You guys see that? So the Amorites messed them up because now they're serving the gods of the Amorites. But they also didn't obey the voice of God. We see the same thing happen with Eve. She didn't obey the voice of God. She obeyed the serpent's voice. So the Israelites do the same thing, and now their identity has been recreated because of what they were doing. But look what God does. It says, verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Ab, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. All right, so first of all, Gideon, he, he's getting smart. He's like, look, they're not going to come take this. I'm hiding right now. Like, I'm working and I'm hiding so they don't find nothing, right? Why? Because they're taking everything. So, even when the angel comes, he's like, wow, how did this guy find me? <laughs> and then the angel's like, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This is what Gideon says. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. This is like a lot of the people in the younger generation today that don't have a relationship with God. Gideon, right here, he's saying, we heard about it, but I ain't seeing it, right? I heard about the great things that God has done, but... I haven't seen it for myself. So when you come to me and tell me the Lord is with you, he's like, I don't believe it. That's really what he's saying right there. And he, and he said it politely, but we even see how he said it like, if the Lord is with us, then why is this all happening? And we have people that, ha that say the same thing to us, right? How many of you try to minister to people and they be like, well, if God is really with us, then he wouldn't allow this to happen to me in my life. He wouldn't allow this to happen to me. My, my mom is in a the hospital. They, they use all these different things because they haven't had an experience with God for themselves. Amen. That's what we see right here. Gideon has not had an experience with God yet. He hasn't had that. As I said earlier, what did I say? What was that word? encounter with God yet. He hasn't had it yet. He, he's like, look, dude, I'm working. All right. He's probably, he probably, you know, he might've gave a couple of choice words, right? We don't know. Um, but he was like, I don't believe you. He could have said it quick and just kept on going. 
But then let's see what it what says after that. It says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So now he's like, okay. And it's interesting. Verse 15, it says, so he said to him, and it's, it's interesting how the, uh, the him, he's talking to God now. You guys see that? Because it's capitalized. So the angel of the Lord, um, well, let's just keep going. It says, so he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? What is he saying? He's giving them what? This is an excuse. Indeed, my clan is the weakest. So not only is he from the weakest nation at that time, because people, like, they don't even have food to eat. They're destroying them. But on top of that, they even ranked, <laughs> they even ranked how weak the tribes were. So it, they had 12 tribes of Israel, right? So from Israel, even though Israel is like negative five at this point, we got negative six. So they're about... Let's just go all the way down to what's negative five plus negative six, or negative five plus negative 12. It's negative 17. His rank is negative 17 right now, and then he's going to go and say this. I'm from the worst tribe of Israel, right? And I am the least in my family, in my father's house. So he's like, why would you come get me? And it's important, it's important to see what God does because God constantly did this throughout scriptures. David was the least of his household. Gideon was the least of his household. We see God continually, continually using what the Bible calls the foolish things to confound the wise. Because usually you would go with the strongest, you would go with the oldest. You would go with the, if it wasn't the oldest, you go with the next one. You know, but God is like, look, just so that they can see my glory, I'm going to do it like this. So then it says, and then the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, what we see God has constantly said to him is I am with you. The first thing he said, I'm with you. He's like, oh, if you're really with me, then blah, blah, blah. Then God is like, I'm with you. Let's go do this. And then he's like, why? I'm the weakest of the weak. I'm the, there's nowhere. I'm the lowest of the low. This is as far as it goes. Right? There's nowhere. It don't go any. I, if, if, like, I'm the last one. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And God's like, I'm with you. So, um, verse 17, then it says, then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who talk with me. I'm sorry, that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So what is beginning to happen? Gideon is beginning to have an encounter with God. He's, he's, he's going to do what? What did he say he was going to do? Give an offering. So Gideon went in and prepared, and this is a sacrificial offering, and prepared a young goat and an unleavened bread for an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out 
to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of the Lord of God said to him, take the meat and unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So Gideon gets to see one of these miracles now, right? We talk about Moses. And if you think about it, I think if, if you really think about Moses, he was probably the youngest brother too. Because Aaron was the oldest brother, right? And Moses had to get uh, put in the water or whatever. So anyway, I just see how God keeps using these young cats. Anyway, we see a miracle because that's why I said something about Moses. Because Moses had the burning bush. Moses had an encounter with God with a burning bush. This guy had an encounter with God with a rock that, that started a fire. This and it devoured what he had. So he had an encounter with God and he, be, he, he was able to see the power of God. Amen. Now this is what Gideon says. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He has had an encounter with God. This is shook, shaking his life up. From this moment, we gonna, we're going to see who how God uses Gideon. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abezrites. All right. So now we see if you keep going, um, Gideon destroys. Matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Uh, verse 25, now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So not only did Gideon destroy the false uh, God's statue, he burned it <laughs> and used it to sacrifice unto God. That, I, I never caught that. Then it says in verse 27, so God took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Now see, some people would be like, well, he was still chicken, but see, he got the job done. That's all that matters. God gave him an identity and he told him that he was going to be with them, even though he feared, right? And this is something that God still was going to have to remove from him. Even though he feared his father and the, the household and the city, he still got the job done. Some of us let fear keep us from our identity. God has told you you're such and such and you're going to do this or you're going to do that. But because of fear, you don't do anything. Fear paralyzes. Right? I remember the, when God spoke a clear word to me that said, uh, conquer your fears. When he said that to me, 
This was like when I was getting ready to launch out and, and do full-time ministry, but I didn't want to do it until I heard God say something, and he told me to conquer my fears. When he told me that, I knew exactly what he was talking about because I feared providing. I wanted to make sure I could provide for my household. That was my biggest fear. So he gave me that word. Then it was easier for me to hear the voice of God when he said, okay, now you can go. Why? Because I, I said conquer my fears. When we conquer our fears, with Michael, you have fears trying to open your own shop. There was fear. Why? Because when there's something that we are uncertain of, fear can keep you from going and doing it. But faith, uh, that's a word right there, but faith will allow you to keep going. Faith, even though he feared in this situation, he allowed faith to allow him to keep on moving. Amen? So, we see this. What happens is when they wake up, Verse uh, 28, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was an altar of Baal torn down. Somebody say torn down. And a wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which he had been, which had been built. So they, they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, he did this thing. Then the men of the city of Joash said to Joash, I'm sorry, bring out your son that he may, what? That he may die, right? Now this is what Gideon feared. Because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he had cut down the wooden images that was beside it. This is exactly what Gideon feared. This is why he did it at night, right? But his dad, thank God for his dad, because we talked about dads being protectors, right? But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Who's Baal? This is the false god, right? So would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he had torn down his altar. So they, they changed Gideon's name, right? Jerubbabel, that's his new name. Gideon ain't being called by that. He don't care about that. But he, what he does care about is my dad came to bat for me, right? He said, if anybody kills him, we're going to kill him. Because Baal should be able to take care of this himself. And it's quiet. <laughs> because Baal is a false god. Nothing's going to happen. His dad knew that. Right? It says, then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord, this is what happens after you have an encounter came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet, and the Abysrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. So, we just see how Gideon goes on, and we know the story about how Gideon's men 
in chapter 7. It's, it's a long chapter. We're not going to get into it today. But we see how God began to strengthen Gideon. Why? Because he was having more encounters with God. We see right after that the story of the fleece where he's like, I'm not sure, God, please clearly reveal to me what you want to do. And I'm, I'm actually just going to read that. Verse 36 says, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on a threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, that just one more time with the fleece. Let it be now dry only on the fleece, but the ground full of dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on the ground. So we see Gideon, even getting his messages confirmed. He's, he's saying, God, and it's like this is a prayer that Gideon is having, and he's saying, okay, God, I just want to be sure. And there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I just want to be sure about what you want to do. That, that's wonderful. But we see after that, Gideon goes and destroys the people, the very people that were destroying his people. And they had uh, thousands of men. God was like, that's too much. So God is beginning, and it's just fireworks, so you're all right. <laughs> Gideon is not out there, okay? We're, we're on his side. But Gideon... The fear that Gideon has, we see it begin to move away. Because God, he goes with a mighty army. He's like, yeah, we about to do this thing, right? And God's like, oh, that's too many people. One time he says that. The next time he's like, that's still too many people. So he goes to war with 300. And this might be where they got that movie from, right? He goes to war with 300. And God gives him an idea that confused the enemy. Now, this is powerful because when you have your identity, your identity will confuse the enemy and the enemy will run rampant on itself. Because that's really what happened. The Midianites got so confused, they started killing each other. Right? So then, when they went down to go take care of the rest of the work, it wasn't that much that they had to do. Right? And not only that, were they confused, it says in the scripture that Gideon went into the camp, snuck into the camp, and God gave him another word of confirmation. A dude woke up and said, man, I just had a dream. Mm. I had a dream that a man named Gideon was going to come destroy us. This is what it says. Read Judges chapter 7. Uh, and it says it in uh, verse 19. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hands. 
So when he heard that, it was another confirmation. Even the enemy knew that they were going to be taken care of. But Gideon, now he has identified himself as a child of God, as a warrior. And not only a warrior, remember God called him a mighty man of valor. So now he identifies himself as a mighty man of valor. It's powerful because when we can get to this point in our life where we identify ourselves how God identifies us, it will be powerful. Amen? Somebody say amen. amen. Your encounter with God is very important. It's important for us to have an encounter with God. And not just one encounter, but continue to see the different encounters that you can have with God. Get away and spend time with the Lord. Amen? amen. Jesus was constantly, and we're getting ready to close. He was constantly revealing who God had called the disciples to be. Every time Jesus was with the disciples, that was an encounter. Because every time they were with Jesus, they were with God, right? But God and Jesus began to display to them who they were. Amen? I said this as I uh, left the other church. In the natural world, we have a piece of ID, right? The main piece of ID that we have is... Well, at least most of the older people. We have a driver's license, right? Now, how many of us got a driver's license? Oh, only of shucks. Well, we just have a license, right? You got a license, though, Monica. You got ID. This is identification. Now, in the world, this is how we identify ourselves, right? They would... If the police pull you over, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to open a bank account, if you're trying to do uh, plenty of different things, they say, show me your ID so I know who you are. But in the spirit, what kind of ID do we have? Right? What, kind of, what does your ID say in the spiritual realm? If it, doesn't, if it just says your name and that's it, you haven't identified yourself. Right? This, this thing, it says who I am. It shows what I look like. It says, this, this weight is a little bit wrong, <laughs> but it says my height, it says my color of my eyes, um, it even gives me an identification number, right? But in my spirit, or in your spirit, how do you identify yourself? Because most of that stuff you have to fill out so they know what it is. You don't step on a scale and say, this is how much I weigh, right? And some of us be lying about that weight. Uh, right? They say, how much you weigh? You'd be like, 110. <laughs> Knowing good and well, you weigh 180. Right? But what I'm trying to say is this. It's important for us to understand who we are in God. Amen? How will you identify yourself? That's the end of that message, and I think that's the end of that series. We appreciate you listening to today's message. If you would like to hear this message and others in its entirety, visit our website, newcreationwa.org. We have services on Saturday nights, and we would love for you to come out and join us at the Emerald City Bible Fellowship Building located at 7728 Rainer Avenue South, Seattle, Washington, 98118. For questions or comments, call us at 425-686-8197. You can be made new. 
in Christ. God bless.